Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall. I am with my two co-hosts, Rohit Malhotra and Todd Yates, to talk about... Well, first off, this is a bonus episode, so we're, we're kind of throwing an extra episode. one out there, right? But no, I was going to say, call these the sprint episodes because they're just going to be <laughs> bite-sized versions of our longer shows. Yeah, we got we to gotta talk about this, this weird ruling, right, Todd? Like, I don't even know how to call it because it's not a ruling. It's, it's a review of a ruling. Yeah, the investigation which, report, which is, I think, what it was actually titled. I, I'm not exactly sure, but the just going to beat the dead horse one last time and talk about um, the Abu Dhabi investigation from last year and, uh, you know, wanted to get you guys thoughts on it. So should I just jump into it then? Let's do it. All right. So uh, we wanted to touch on this last week's pod, but we had too much fun talking about the race. So I think during qualifying or like the free practice three on the Saturday, they released the report and smart of them because they knew everyone would be talking about the racing and qualifying and how the cars are and stuff. But they released the report and the investigation into Abu Dhabi. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, It came out that in the report, it essentially said that the race director, Michael Massey, didn't follow the, you know, the the rules in, but he was doing it in good faith. Essentially, long story short, there was a regulation that says that was spelled out as when the safety car is deployed. They have to display a message that the safety car will be in at the end of the following lap and that in between that time, the race director must display a message that any cars that have been lapped may overtake the safety car. And there was some confusion around that. But essentially, Michael Massey said that he was quoting a different regulation that was 15 point something that said that the ultimate discretion is reserved for the race director and he was saying that he has ultimate control of the safety car so what he did was let only the cars between max and lewis unlap themselves and then shortened the period for the safety car to come off so he let those cars unlap and then immediately took the safety car off the track instead of following the regulation and making it come off the track at the end of the following lap And it's just wild to me that not only did FIA and F1 basically say like, oh, this guy screwed up and it was human error in good faith. But like for Verstappen fans, how does it feel essentially? I know you guys aren't Verstappen fans necessarily, but for any of like F1 fans, like we now have a true like asterisk champion. And I just wanted to get, get you guys thoughts on that because we've never had, I can't, at least I can't think of any other sport where it's like a completely botched ending to a season championship, whatever. And then the league themselves come out and say, Oh yeah, our leader screwed up and didn't follow the rules, but he was doing it in good faith. So what do you guys think? It's interesting, and I'll try to tee something up to my other co-hosts here. There is a gentleman that, unfortunately, Nick is all too familiar with by the name of Tim Donahue. And he was the culprit at probably one of the most heartbreaking NBA games of the century. 
And it was one of those things that as you're watching the game, you can't believe this because it truly feels like this referee is calling things as one-sided as possible. But at the same time, what is probably most infuriating to me was did David Stern ever give us some sort of, you know, he was acting in good faith because I do notice now that's what the NBA does is anytime that there is any sort of misplay the next night or the next day, even they'll tell us, Oh yeah, there was a blown call at this moment, this moment, this moment. Don't tell us that because ultimately if you're going to tell us that my next question is what are you going to do about it? You can't really do anything about it. There's too much money involved. There's too much pomp and circumstance. Just let it go. Why, to Todd's point, beat a dead horse in this way? Because you that's the one advantage you have. You can control how often and how long people talk about this in an official sense. And by releasing this statement, by saying he acted in good faith, you're ultimately dominating the news cycle again, which I get from a Formula One perspective is great because all eyeballs are good eyeballs. But yeah, I just think this is them trying to catch the dying embers of a story that'll probably be fleeting for any non-Formula One fan. Now, granted, there's 33 million new of us that are going to be fixated on this from now until the end of time. But not really sure what they're trying to get out of this. Nick, what are you thinking? I mean, I'm kind of going to be devil's advocate, I guess. Thinking back to that last race, there's no way anybody walks away happy from it, right? You know, I just think that the situation sucked. Maybe it's because I've had more time to think about it. Maybe it's ha- I've had more time to let it simmer down and I'm not as upset about it because frankly, like I just feel like shit happens, get back out there and go racing. And that seems to be the attitude, you know, with Lewis at this point. Um, I don't think that, I, you know, I mean, my heart wanted Lewis to win. I don't think that Max deserved to lose. The fact that we're reviewing this stuff and bringing it up again is the biggest flaw in the system, right? I mean, I don't think that we've talked about it before, but I don't think that Massey is the single scapegoat of this situation, but it seems like the only intention of the review is to make him the single scapegoat of the situation. And I'm not, I'm not saying that he didn't make the right call or the wrong call. Like that call would have been impossible to make because on one hand, Everyone wants to see the race end under green flags, right? As you read the rules, as I read the rule, like, I mean, yeah, you could, you could maybe understand where he said, let's just get some of the lapped cars because it doesn't specifically say all lapped cars, right? Or whatever that, whatever that little nuance is. And at the end of the day, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I, I feel like, Maybe Formula One is just doing this all for the drama of it. It's funny. I had that thought, too. Like, they're drinking their own Kool-Aid and the and the drive to survive thing. It's it's weird that they chose to delay the report until literally, like, you know, the day before the first race or whatever. I think that was just bad. I don't think they want attention. This attention, though, back to Rohit's point, like... Saying that we have, like, a botched championship last year is never necessarily good. Like, it takes the faith out of, like, it as a sport, right? Like, these people competing on track. But I don't think that they want the attention, and I think that's why they released it in during the busyness of the first race weekend to try to bury it in the news cycle. Because 
if you are, you know, diehard F1 fan, like you are paying attention to that news cycle and you are seeing that your beloved sport has issues like this, but it's, it's never a good look for Max or Lewis or anyone to say like, oh yeah, last year's championship is kind of muddied in that sense. And going back to what you said, Nick, like you, I definitely wanted Hamilton to get his eighth to, you know, become the statistical goat and everything like that. But I absolutely think that Max deserved that championship. He was the better driver and the better car over the season. Um, but either way, it's not a good look for anybody. And it's just wild to me to like, as you guys were both kind of alluding to that, like they would even go about releasing that report in that way and just say, instead of that, just say like, you know what, the the rules have now been clarified. So we don't have that situation again, instead of using Massey as the scapegoat, because they did like, to, to Nick's point, like they said, they changed the literal word, any to all in that new regulation. So all lapped cars may overtake the safety car. So it actually spells out now that they have all, they have to unlap all of them, which in that instance would have ended the race under yellow flag um, or under a safety car, which may have been the better outcome. I don't know. Maybe they should, he should have thrown a red flag immediately and just had everybody put on new tires and have a two lap sprint like they did in Baku. And that would have been awesome. But I mean, honestly, that's not a bad idea, right? Like that would be a rule that I think people would get behind because at least there's the feeling of a fair chance, right? Like the problem is on one hand, Mercedes didn't pit when they probably should have. I know like as a, as a Lewis fan, I, I'm not supposed to admit that, but like strategically they should have pitted just like everybody else. But you did, give right? up track position. So if they don't have the whole safety car madness like that, you you wouldn't think like that, you know, all of the events that occurred went. And so like you're going to give up track position with five laps to go and maybe they don't do that safety car shenanigans. And then the, the race finishes under a safety car and you just lost the championship because of that. Yeah, I mean, if it's flipped and and Mercedes pits, right? Then are we having this conversation about how it was r rigged for Lewis? Because that's the conversation, right? The conversation is that generally speaking, a lot of people feel like they, that Lewis was cheated out of the entire ordeal because of the way that it was handled by Massey. So if in some, you know, other world alternative universe lewis pits and whatever happens with the safety cars causes them to i don't know like if lewis pits and, and max goes through and doesn't pit then there's a safety car is it is it reversed and we're just we're just basically arguing over the fact that massey made a poor decision for for Lewis in that instance, you know what yeah. I mean? It's just like, we can't get to a, a solid solution in my opinion. And it's almost like one of those things where the more we hear about it, the more we're just like, what the hell, man? Like what is going on here? You know, ultimately it comes to what Todd said, you're invalidating a championship. The thing that's scary to me and probably will be the testament of the sport is 
I cannot think of an instance where a sport has risen to popularity the same way Formula One has with a new audience culminating in probably the most exciting season that that sport has seen. And I'm trying to be as objective as possible as I can because I defer to my two uh, Formula One gurus here. Has there been as exciting of a season as the one we just witnessed where it literally came down to the last race for the two drivers? Oh, man. I, I mean, we've had some close close battles but it's been a really long time like 2012 was a great season the late 2000s had some great seasons in there i think the last time two drivers went into the last race tied was like the 70s or something i i think we talked about before um perfect no and the reason why i say that is because and obviously this is all said in hindsight, right? We look at what is essentially a yearbook of the Formula One season that just happened, whether we agree with it or not, drive to survive. The biggest thing for me for this upcoming season was the fact that they included Domenicali in the actual episode as the Formula One. What is his exact position? Director, driver? The president of the FIA. The president of the FIA. And I know I tend to make things very simple and I tend to rely on the same tropes I always do, but this is as equivalent to something that happened in professional wrestling as the Montreal Screwjob, where essentially that's the day we figured out not necessarily how fake wrestling is, but how predetermined it can be and how quickly one man can change the entire telemetry of the sport. Because by including Domenicali in that, after you've had as questionable of an ending to a season as you can, you can't help but think that. And cynically, I guess it's perfect because if you're trying to introduce a brand new audience, you want to showcase to them that, hey, in this sport that we all love so much, anything is possible when you take the man and the machine component in and out of it. But at the same time, you can't have your cake and eat it too because sure, Formula One must have been rubbing their hands together because, hey, we had this controversial ending that was on the front page of everyone's newspaper, whether you were a race fan or not. And now you're trying to distance yourself away from it because you are kind of hitting that next level of popularity and you want to maintain some sort of sporting integrity. It just kind of falls a little false of what you're trying to do in terms of being a sporting endeavor that truly rewards the best drivers and the best machinery and not the best rule book or how it's written. That's one of the funniest comparisons that you brought up wrestling in the Montreal Screwjob because that was the big, big hoopla, like especially on Twitter at the end of the season last year was, is this sports or is this sports entertainment? And that's what they're really seem to be pushing this narrative, especially with Drive to Survive, since you mentioned that again, like having the president, it's like, the NBA having a, a reality type show and like having Adam Silver in as like part of the characters or whoever the commissioner of the NBA is now. I don't know. Yeah, and I think one other line I've always used, and I will now apply this to directors and officials in a league office, much like referees and much like children in a previous era, the best ones are seen and not heard. Like I'm okay with David Stern or Adam Silver or Domenicali being at a race. So they have to be there. It's their governing body that is essentially dictating what is rule and what is not rule in the sport. The minute you allow that personality to grow in a more inorganic way, as opposed to organically having them kind of rule the roost, 
that's when I'm like, okay, what are you trying to do? Because to your point, Todd, sports entertainment is a very loaded term because yes, it's sport, but that second word is so damning in terms of an indictment because you give off this equivalency rather that this has already been predetermined. And as sports fan, the last thing we would want is to have a title that our team may have won or conversely, a title my team may have lost because it was already predetermined before a ball was kicked or before an engine was turned on. So that's where I'm just really interested to see how are they navigating this because we don't have a precedence from a global perspective with regards to how to handle this kind of disaster crisis in a sport. Okay, well, I mean, that's, I think we got our our two cents out about it. Uh, let it die now. Let Max be the tainted champion. Hopefully he gets a real one. I really do feel bad for him at the end of the day. Like, that. hopefully he goes on to win several more. He has the talent. We know um, Red Bull's probably not going anywhere. It's one of the top teams. So I just hope that... that we don't get these crazy situations coming up again that, that, you know, walks that line between sports and sports entertainment. But, uh, other things that we wanted to touch on today were, um, the, our initial, I don't know what to call it because our fantasy drafts, my starting five, not to plagiarize from the other podcast, but, um, the exhaust knows pod draft and our season total so far, so, uh, after race one, and I, well, I'll just start in order that I have them on screen here, but I did not have a good week. I had two DNFs and, uh, also have an Aston car on my team, which is not looking good for the season, but I ended up the race week with 37 points. Um, we then had Nick in third with, uh, 45 points, which is pretty pretty good considering he had max on his team and also had a dnf uh rohit had a pretty strong week um with uh george coming home p4 and carlos what was he five oh sorry second second you're right um so he had a total of 60 points and then aaron took first last week uh with a total of 62 points so i think now that we start to see the teams shake out a little bit, it's going to be an interesting, interesting season, especially now that we see who the power players are and who might be struggling. I mean, I, I, excuse me. I always, uh, you know, pride myself in being really just the, the tire kicker of the group when it comes to these fantasy endeavors, but I got my one, uh, discord shout out for myself when, before the race started, I said that I was in front of everyone because fantasy showed that I was ahead of everyone. I'm not wrong if we're all equal. And I was, you know, I just figured I just had to figure out how to sort the list to, to put myself at the top. Right. Might have been alphabetical. I don't know. But anyway, I, I'm excited for it. I mean, I feel like to your point for me, Max DNF and, you know, having him like that's shout out to K Mag basically. Right. Like. It's the only only bright side I had out of that at the end of the day. No, that's what I was taken back by was the fact that for all intents and purposes, both of you guys had a couple of donuts, but it's still so early in the season. And I wonder how many times we will see all three of the drivers, essentially the Red Bull Academy, Sans Yuki, 
go with the DNF because I think between the three of them, we may get maybe three total DNFs for the rest of the year because they're all very accomplished drivers. They're very professional. And most importantly, they're very good. They're all podium winners. So I just think you guys ran into a bit of bad luck that was associated with Red Bull for that first week. But I don't know. The other thing is I think Aaron is living a charmed life because both Yuki and uh, Guangzhou Zhou also probably overachieved, dare I say. If I if I have to be the heel of the group, so be it. I'll be the heel. But I'm not thinking Guang is going to get anything greater than an 11 for the rest of the season. But I may be a hater in that regard. <laughs> I just want to hear you try to say his name on an endless loop because that was amazing. Guangzhou no, Zhou. Zhou Guanyu. Zhou Guanyu? <laughs> I was trying to do it in a French accent, apparently. All right. I no, that's, it, it, I just laugh because I've been following him a little bit from F2 the last few years. And everyone, including the announcers, everyone involved in F2 has called him Guan Yu Zhou for the last two years. And then he got to Formula One and he was like, oh, yeah, you guys are saying my name backwards, by the way. Like, which is just is crazy to me that like it went that long. And he's just too polite to be like. It's like calling you Mahalcho Rohit, like, for two years. I'll give you one better. I have a coworker I've worked with for the better part of five years. He still cannot pronounce my name correctly. He likes to call me Rohit. So I've started a sneaker blog. It's called Rohit now. So at least there's some vindication to that man's mispronunciation. But yeah, it's it's one of those things that is characteristic of some of us that are not necessarily native inhabitants of a country. But yeah, we do not want to draw attention to it. We're just trying to live our best life. So Guang, I'm sorry. You can call me Mal. It'll be good. <laughs> so great. All right. So the other update I wanted to give is in our Discord Fantasy League. Um, and Nick, you're going to have to jump in here again because I... Ash and our Alpha Ash Ari took the top spot this week, and you can. Ex- yeah, so that's my brother and my sister-in-law. So you can you can listen to uh, my brother on the very first or second episode when he went to Austin for his first Formula One race, actually. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, I did. <clears throat> I do remember that now. Um, followed by Nicholas C coming home. Uh, it's nine points behind there. And then in P3, we had uh, Trev, Iron Trev, our Canuck brother, um, at 2.45. And it's just, I was talking about it in our pre-roll. Uh, oh, also, your your brother went with the very bold strategy of using his Mega Driver for the first race of the season, which got him P1, but there's a long season to go. So, um, I just want... I mean, hey, when you're that, feeling it, when you're feeling it, and you believe, you just got to go for it, though. You know, it could have been much worse too. He had Lando as his triple driver. Like, imagine if you'd put that as Charles. I think we may have lost the race before that even started at that point. So, thank you, Alpha, for at least giving us a sliver of a hope by making sure Lando was your triple driver, who got you a massive four points. We appreciate that. <laughs> I also wanted to give a special shout out to uh, Drew G Duo in the Discord for coming in dead last this week and almost. I, I've never seen a complete team score be so low. So um, hats off to you. But you're first in our hearts, Drew. Yes, it's the quality of points, not the quantity. 
intrusive. So I must say, <laughs> thank you for sharing that with us and allowing some of us to pick up these not as good points, but you are a mensch, as the Yiddish faith like to say. So thank you as well. Yeah. And then the last thing I want to touch on, guys, is is as we had heard uh, as I was watching free practice this morning in Jeddah, um, there was like a terrorist attack in at an oil refinery in Jeddah, like a few, I think like 10 kilometers away from the track and caused some very weird scenes like in F2 qualifying. They sent out the medical car and red flagged the qualifying and it was just the medical car out there doing laps with like no incidents on track. So it was a very strange scene, but it turned out to be that there was a terrorist attack at an oil refinery uh, in, in Jeddah and first and foremost, I guess, like hopefully everyone that's working there or whatever is okay. Um, but it's come to pass that F1 is still going to be racing this weekend, even with that going on that closely to the race, which I mean, I know that there's already, uh, you know, rumblings on social media about how they should be racing in Abu Dhabi. And actually Hamilton mentioned something this morning about their equality laws. Um, they're not very friendly to our LGBT, LGBT brethren. Um, and he mentioned that he got a message from somebody that's in on death row that's 14. So there's just a lot of craziness going on in Jeddah. And I think this track is super dangerous. But I, what do you guys think about racing while there's literally attacks happening that that close like it takes the whole like how important is sport thing into context but do you guys have thoughts on that i was just gonna say this is the first i'd heard of it and i'm always of the opinion player safety is paramount to my enjoyment of the league no matter what is happening outside, these guys need to be protected. And I think it's pretty irresponsible that they decide to race. And granted, I don't know the whole scope of the terrorist attacks. But if I hear that term, my thought is just shut it down. Why even take the risk? I think we've all, whether we live in the States, whether we live in Jeddah, whether we live somewhere in between, we've all felt the ramifications of an attack like that. And it's not something that's pleasing in any sense of the word. So just don't even take the chance. But... Formula One is a corporation like most corporations that are run by money. So it's going to happen and it's going to probably take a Herculean event for it to not happen. So who knows? But Nick, what are you thinking? I mean, it's just a, it's just a tough situation. I think that, you know, the optimist in me, well, let me start by saying, obviously, you know, I feel for the people that go through these kind of things. And as somebody who's lived in cities where there's been terrorist attacks happen and the feelings are not just the, the emotions and, and all of the fear is not just for the people going through it. It's all of their loved ones too. Right. And that's the hard part to, to kind of wrap your head around as you're going through it. And I think that, you know, to your point, Rowett, you know, it's, it's, it's the drivers, it's the, it's all the fans, you know, a lot of people, especially with formula one being something that is a little, 
you know, it's expensive for fans to go, no matter what racetrack they go to, it's expensive compared to most sport. And, you know, the, the reality for me is that I don't, I, I also agree with Todd. I don't think that the track is safe. Like just watching the races there last year was like, I would not want to be a driver racing that track. Um, it feels very forced in a lot of ways. It feels forced that we even have that race, to be honest. But um, I also do think that there is some escape from the struggles of life that comes with sport. And I do on some levels understand that, you know, I think back to like, you know, New York city and and nine 11 and how much, you know, baseball was just like so powerful after all of that happened, you know, the, when it got back to some sort of normal. So, you know, I, I can understand if there's a back and forth dialogue as to like why it happens, but this seems a little too close and also just seems like a sign that we all probably already feel some type of way about Jetta and and the track and, you know, and the, you know, LGBT community that, you know, like, look, it's brave for Lewis and, and these guys to, to stand up for that in a, in a country or city or state that has these really strong beliefs against their beliefs, right? Because ultimately there's even more at risk there for these guys to show up at the track. Even, you know, they've probably got to have security outside of the racetrack in more ways at these types of places than others. And to me, that's just, I don't know. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to handle it, to be honest. I, I think that, you know, I think that, the, the biggest difference between Formula One and other sports is that it is such a global thing. And globally, we all have different views and different values. And, you know, I definitely don't align with a lot of the views that are out there. But, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard for me to judge when and wh when and where those lines are crossed, I guess, is the best way to put it, because I definitely don't know enough about the situations. But like to Todd's point, when you hear about you know, a 14 year old in prison and these kind of things, you know, racing doesn't seem that important to me. Yeah. I think that's really well said, Nick. Um, I think the, just as going back to your first point, like corporations are going to corporation and they're going to have this slogan of we race as one and then go to a very not being one type of country um, just because it takes away from the statement we race. Yeah. As one, it was just a whole f farce when they came out with that whole slogan. And no, I think they cut the sentence off. It's we race as one corporation. <laughs> like that's what that statement is. Yeah. That's exactly what it feels like when, when this kind of shit happens. Yeah. No. And I think to your point as well, Nick, I'm not a native New Yorker. I, I can't imagine what it was like to be in that city during 9-11. But to your point, the healing power of baseball after the fact that's happened was great. Like, I'm not a big George W. Bush guy, but even I was impressed the way he threw that strike in the Think in the World series. Because even if it was an inkling, it lifted my spirits up because that was a time for kids like me. It was a troubling time. Like, we got accused of a lot of different things. We got called a lot of different things. And similar to what we were talking about earlier about correcting people about mispronunciation, when you're a young brown kid, 
You just want to be a part of the crew. You don't want it to be, oh, this crew with the one young brown kid. You just want it to be a crew of kids. So I understand that component of it. But what I guess I worry about is the proximity of this terror attack happening to the event. Like worst case scenario, we have a terrorist attack during the event. And then I think it's scary as all can be. Like the closest thing we saw was to a French football game a couple of years ago where you could hear visible explosions outside the stadium. And that's just jarring to say. Or the, the Boston Marathon. Like, yeah, yeah, thank you. You're absolutely right. Shout out to Mark Wahlberg, that documentarian. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm glad we could end that with a little bit of levity. But yeah, I think, I mean, I think Nick, you said it best, like regardless of the country's viewpoints and their way of being and these attacks that are happening, like the track itself is just dangerous as all hell. And I don't think it should be on the calendar. Can I ask a question? Because what about it? Is it so dangerous as hell? Is it a narrow path? Is it just high speeds? Walk me through that because I want to make sure that we educate our listeners. Exactly that. You just said it. Yeah, it's both. It's it's a street circuit. It was like a purpose built street circuit. So I don't think it's actually used as public roads, but it's like super smooth, super fast, kind of straight. It's like a big, you know, oval, basically tube um, with little twists and turns. But uh, it's very high speed, uh, high speed, like Monza is high speed, like the temple of, you know, it's nicknamed the temple of speed. So it's fast like yeah. that, but it's not nearly as wide. There's no runoffs because it's a street type circuit. So it's walls on all the sides. And when they're going, we saw this last year in, in qualifying in the race, there was, you know, on the restart, actually, I just rewatched last year's race in preparation for this weekend. And that second restart, um, there was so much confusion and chaos on the second restart. Like Mazepin, we love to talk about him, just literally put more than half of his car up George's behind on the restart because he couldn't tell what was happening. They had to slow down because uh, Checo put the Ferrari in the wall and he spun out. And then so everyone slowed down and Mazepin just went boom because he had no time to react. There's no sight lines on the track. So if they're coming around a corner at you know 200 miles an hour and there's somebody sl- going slow around that corner they could easily spear them going 200 so i just don't think it's a good track it produced a, an amazing qualifying lap last year with max probably one of the best we've ever seen or that it's talked about as one of the best qualifying laps ever but it's just driver safety is paramount and that's this isn't a good track for that no, I was going to say, it's funny you mentioned that because we just came off the first race of the season and we watched it with a bigger group of people, some of which this was our first Formula One car race. And I kind of want to save this idea for us because we're always looking for that next great episode to especially bring on newbies. Is there any sort of governing body or rules and regulations of what is allowed for a track to be considered for Formula One? Because that's something that as a new person in the sport and mostly somebody that grew up in the NASCAR sense of everywhere's an oval, it's just how big is the oval? Formula One truly has some beauty with regards to the track design and the track architecture. And I'm just wondering what are the governing bodies in play that limit or amplify certain track designs? So I think I think that is probably a full episode that we should get into in the future because um, we'll get into it let me let me say something before we get into that. Sure. One of the things about this track, 
other than, I mean, <clears throat> we've been talking about this, right? Yes. As a racer, as a, as a fan of racing, I, I don't want to see my heroes die on the track as I already have in this lifetime. Right. Like that plain and simple, but as a human being for, you know, the political aspects and the conversation around the politics of, of this race and, and a couple of the others, it, I don't feel like politics are removable from our experience as human beings. And that is my first and foremost reason why I don't think this race should happen. We did the same thing, or I say we as Formula One as a whole, right? Formula One took Sochi off off the race, off the, the calendar this year because of the human, because of the politics, right? Because of the invasion of Ukraine. So if we are going to do that in one way, then I think we need to do that as a, as a sport. We need to do that in all ways, right? We need to be committed to this and we need to say, this is who we are. If we race as one, then let's race as one. Like this just seems like a sign to not be there in my opinion. And, you know, I don't want to get into beliefs and religion or, you know, spirituality, but like, I believe in that type of shit. So maybe it is, you know, but at the end of the day, it's 10 kilometers from the track. It's fucking ridiculous that we would have a race with this type of thing happening. Cause who's to say that that same thing doesn't happen on race day when everyone in the world is watching or, you know, yeah. hundred and what are we up to? 250 million, 500 million <laughs> yeah. row it with your next prediction. I think, uh, <laughs> I yeah, just we just that. got 30 million sure last week. Not. So I'm sure it's double yeah. that at least. Yeah, yeah. So, a couple um, of them are terrorists apparently jerks. But in regards to the tracks and the, the, the reason tracks get approved or don't get approved, I think we'll have to push that off to a next, our next episode, sure. because we do have another, another track that's going to be added in 2023. There's going to be a Vegas race that was announced. Um, personally, I have, I think I want, I want to dig into this a little bit more, but like, I personally have wanted formula one on the West coast again. Um, but you know, for, for basically all of my lifetime, we've been told that the tracks on the West coast, specifically Laguna Seca can't handle the cars because there's not a far enough runoff, which when I see this track taking all the politics and the emotional stuff that I just said about why we shouldn't be racing there. When I look at this track and see the danger of this track and see that it's allowed on the, on the schedule, but formula one, which actually has significant amount of runoff compared to this track, it makes no sense. So I, that's something I think we should dig into a little bit deeper. And and I know Todd probably has some thoughts and, and probably even we could go through and potentially even look at like how we could reshape the entire calendar for, for a future episode, because you know, not to say that America should have all these races, but like if we're going to have two or three races in America, there's a lot of a lot of negotiating that I think we could do on behalf of the fans. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Vegas, Nick, because that was another thing that happened this week. It got confirmed for Thanksgiving 2023. And I think, as I said in the discord, I think I'll watch that from afar because I made the mistake of being in Vegas during NBA All-Star one one weekend, and it was one of the worst experiences ever. Um, I hope it's a interesting circuit, and it's not uh, the Caesars parking lot like it was in the 70s and 80s, or 80-something. I don't remember what year, but they have raced in Vegas before, and it was just literally in a parking lot. Um, 
and it was not good. But it's I would love to see more races in America, but the general consensus from the bulk of F1 fans is that they were they were all mad because Vegas night race means that they're going to unfortunately have to get up at two o'clock in the morning to watch the race or whatever time it was. Yeah. When we do that, we do that regularly over here in America. I'd love to see a race on the West coast, but having been to IndyCar at Laguna Seca, I can't imagine an F1 car, which is that much faster trying to break for the corkscrew, which would be just, I could just see it just off, off into the trees there. Yeah, I mean, even sports cars are at way too high of a pace sometimes for that track. So maybe it turns into a Vespa race. Maybe Formula One has the first Vespa race in Laguna Seca. <laughs> I'm down for that. I will be a part of that. Actually, that'd be fun. Uh, so, it- I mean, shout out to my brother and my my sister in law. They both ride bikes at Laguna Seca like every every couple of months. I think so. oh, cool. that's awesome. So, any final thoughts? Any changes of predictions for? Uh, this weekend's race. If the doomsday scenario happens and Lando does win a podium, Todd, I you do not have to get a tattoo. I already said it. Like I said, I have a, I know, a bunch of dumb still, tattoos. I, I, I feel I feel responsible. You really don't. I offered weird. it. You didn't even say like, I, oh, you want a bet. I know, I know you did, but I feel like I introduced it into the ether, and now there's a distinct possibility it may happen, and I can't have that on my conscience. The ink should not be on my hands, but I feel that, that it, it's there. So. After I get if if the literal miracle happens, where Norris ends up on the podium, I will get said tattoo, and then I will get temporary tattoos made. And send you one, and you can put it on. Okay, I will. I will wear the temporary tattoo alongside you, my brother. <laughs> yeah, uh, watching free practice one. It's not looking good for Aston and and McLaren. Merck still suffering big time from the porpoising. Also, some porpoising reported on the Ferrari cars. So maybe all of our predictions might be a little wrong there. But I think it has the possibility to be a race of attrition again. Um, like we saw last year with, I think, four or five cars DNFing. So, who knows? Just safe race for everybody. Just don't take any chances. We want to see everybody for the Australian Grand Prix, which I believe will be in two or three weeks after this one is yep. complete. So, that's all I hope coming out of this race. That and Aaron doesn't get any more points. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, you know, I just really hope that the fans get a, a chance to cheer and, and, you know, enjoy the race if, if it goes on. So sounds like it will. All right. Well, another episode in the books, guys, let's, uh, what else do we need to tell them? Let, bro, bro, we, we need, we need some reviews, right? Yeah, we do need some reviews and this is a, I was going to say, this is a problem amongst all of our podcasts. Please give us a review. Like I will do a 15 second song and dance every week until I get 10 new reviews. So this is on you guys. And I will say this, Yiddish is not a faith. It's a language of the faith. And if you have any issues with what I said, you can follow me on Twitter at R-A-H-B-E-E-702. So please voice your concerns there because I listen to every comment that comes into that account. And yeah, apologies again to my Jewish brethren out there. Yiddish is the language, not the faith. That's so good. Um, 
You can find me on Instagram at Teasy, on Twitter at HackJandy11. I'm still begging for followers because I haven't been using that for a very long time. And now I'm just retweeting interesting things about F1. After you write the review, follow HackJandy11. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you can follow me at Nick Engvall on all the platforms. Make sure you're following Exhaust Notes FM on Twitter, on Instagram. I think we have a TikTok. Uh, I haven't used it yet, but trying to get some more some more followers and some more conversation around these races. And look for some some uh, new content ideas coming from from us soon because uh, we've had a we had a, a blast watching the race with the community in the Discord, and I think uh, just the the conversation throughout the race was incredible as well. So. Uh, make sure you're in the Discord. It'll be the first link in the description. And uh, that's about it for us. Thanks for checking out this bonus episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace. Peace.